I'm Andy Kesson, and this is A Bit Lit. Founded at the beginning of the UK lockdown, A Bit Lit is about conversation, celebrating and exploring theatre, literature and creative work across all periods and of all kinds. We've talked to professional wrestlers and about Ghostbusters and medieval sex positivity. We've looked at the histories of race, gender and sexuality. We followed migrating coconuts and the history of wine and cheese. We've gone from Jane Austen and Shakespeare to EastEnders via the history of early television, young adult fiction, photography, animation and documentary making. And with over 100 films already, many other subjects as well. Join the conversations at our website, abitlit.co or on YouTube and follow us on Twitter at abitlit. RJ, hello, how are you doing? I'm wonderful, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. Um, Thank you very much for joining us today. So nice. You have a lovely nook, a book shelf thing. That's like a classic Zoom thing now. It's my book nook, but I like to think I'm bucking the trend by keeping the books on one side only. Yeah, that they're they're around, but they're not the focus of your life. That's what you're not the focus of my life. Since I've been making these films, I've been receiving outrageous compliments from strangers on the internet about my very large clock. Uh, which has been making my life extra exciting, as you can imagine. Yet, juxtaposed with the classic wrestling steel chairs on the top of the (laughs) stairs behind it. You never know when you might need that in a match. It's very important. See? Very resourceful. Um, RJ, we're starting the films by asking contributors just to introduce themselves and tell us, give us an overview of their work. So would you mind doing that, please? Yes, well, as as you mentioned, I am RJ, and I'm, I guess... Uh, how would I describe, I, the thing I say is I'm a raconteur, which is just <laughs> because nobody's using that word anymore and I thought I would bring it back. I feel like I'm an idiot of various mediums. <laughs> so what do I do? I'm a wrestler, I'm a writer, I'm a comedian. I do obviously right now a lot of YouTube things. Sunday mornings, I'm live on YouTube and I make coffee in my underwear and talk to people about a variety of things. It's far less salacious than it sounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've written for TV shows and movies. I have a bizarre tag team partnership with David Arquette, who's a much maligned figure in professional wrestling. Um, and yeah, yeah, I do a variety of things and most of them involve tweeting about wrestling, <laughs> which is how most people end up finding me. Great, thank you. Um, I am fully behind you bringing back the word raconteur, um, which you hear so little now. It sounds sort of like an odd combination of um, ratatouille and I can't think what else, maybe rack? Yes. That's a wrestling move, right? Uh, Yes. I always think it's saved for like comedians who stopped being funny as they got older. You know, when they start calling themselves like storytellers and you're like, what? Weren't you? And you're like, oh, you mean just like you tell slightly funny stories. But I feel like, Raconteur is really like, generally speaking, a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what wrestling is. And I feel like that's what I try to put out. Um, yeah. I, I won't judge the quality of my stories, but I will say there's certainly stories in some form. Great, thank you. I mean, that's definitely been a big theme of the wrestling films we've made already um, for this series is about wrestling as a form of storytelling. And, um, and you're right that uh, in addition to what you're doing in the ring, uh, it does feel like Twitter is a really interesting place for you to be telling stories about wrestling and also maybe challenging um, preconceptions uh, around around wrestling. You're very playful with 
what it, what wrestling means and what, what people expect from it, I guess, through places like Twitter? Yeah, I got, I mean, in one sense, I'm very bored with wrestling, but in a good way where it allows me to, the curiosity to poke around <laughs> and see why certain constructs exist and what happens if we do the opposite just out of curiosity. Mm. And I, I uh, you know, am a writer. I like doing the written word stuff. And I think Twitter is probably the, the best way for me to do that. And the best part is there's also a bunch of angry wrestling fans on Twitter. So I can get directly to them, which is in- incredibly <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, maybe we should come back to that because in some ways playing with anger and deliberately trying to cause it amongst the audience is kind of one of the jobs of certain kinds of wrestlers, right? Within a match. Yes, I would say it's it's primarily one of my jobs. Okay, I'm gonna try and resist becoming angry. I'm gonna I'm gonna be very zen all the way through this conversation. <laughs> um, uh, okay, wow, where to start with that? So I'm just thinking that um, these films are gonna be watched by people who won't be familiar with the conventions you're talking about. So I know you've said that you're bored by them, so I apologize for drawing your attention to them, but... No, but I, I enjoy, because I'm bored with them, I enjoy dissecting them and analyzing them and see why they exist. I don't, I don't wanna just passively exist within them. That, that bores me. So I enjoy saying, why are these things here? Is anyone else seeing them? So this is, this is very much, yeah, what I'm interested in. Great. All right. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, and, and again, for me, I kind of think that's what a writer does as well. Like a writer is, is excited about writing, but also wants to change what the world of writing looks like. Otherwise, why do it? And it's sort of true for me too, as a, as a researcher, I'm, I'm excited by research, but I also feel like the world of research I'm in needs, needs shaking up. And that's why I'm there to try and see things differently. So I guess there's sort of strange links there between writing and, and wrestling. But yeah, could you give us some examples of um, conventions and what you do with them? Well, I think a very, very common convention in wrestling is the aggressive alpha male character. When you think of a wrestler, especially if you're not a fan of wrestling, the first thing that pops into your head is usually a sweaty, bloated man growling. (laughs) Almost always. And I see that when you look at, oh, say there's an episode of a sitcom that does a wrestling episode, and they're not familiar with wrestling. They're just using the stereotypes that exist. That's what they always think of. And to be fair to them, there are tremendous, there is a tremendous amount of that in wrestling, but that's, it's slowly changing um, as there's a bigger emphasis on women, as there's a bigger emphasis on LGBTQ people and characters. I mean, I think in those uh, people being involved behind the scenes creates naturally more characters in front of the camera. And I just, well, so this is my thing. As a heel, which for anyone who doesn't know, a heel is the bad guy in wrestling. His job is to really give the people the opposite of what they came to see. That's really my job. So if you came to see heroicism and athleticism and, and aggression and action and violence, what is the opposite of that? And I, I really like saying, well, what is the opposite? I'm very, when I wrestle, I'm very smug. A lot of people say I will uh, attribute, uh, I have a lot of perhaps, I wouldn't even say feminine qualities, but non-aggressive qualities. That's always my thing. I like to, to play in that role in that setting. I like to really be the opposite, the, uh, the contrarian, if you will. 
So the guy who really doesn't want to be in there, doesn't want to wrestle. Let's get this over with as quick as possible. Not a yeller, not too sweaty, not too aggressive. Very calm and cool until, of course, things go wrong. So that, that's something I'm interested in, just always going, well, this is what's established. This is what people know. What if we do something else? Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, this is super fascinating. Uh, I, I want to link two of the things you said, if that's all right, RJ. Um, one is, um, if, if, if a heel is, if the job of a heel is to give people the opposite of what they want, why do heel-based matches bring audiences, I guess is the first question. And then also you, you said, you know, you like to uh, maintain, maintain a certain persona until things go wrong. Um, that also means you're, you're kind of building up maybe to that moment where things go wrong. So I'm kind of interested in, it feels like there's a tension there between what people think they want, but then what they're really there to see. Which Well, it's like a, it's a sadomasochistic relationship with the audience <laughs> where they know what they want, but yet they enjoy being teased with something else and, and denied what they want. What you really want to see ultimately, I mean, it's, it's usually my job, is you want to see me get beat up. So if it's you and I wrestling, and I, I'm the heel, it's my job to antagonize the crowd to such an extent that even if you are a horrible wrestler, they still <laughs> want to see you beat me up. So now I've, I've helped you by being bad. You're good really only in relation to me. Yeah, And, uh, you know, sometimes that may mean you're a better wrestler and they really want to see the stuff you can do. Sometimes that means they just want to see me get embarrassed. And the whole, I guess, the story or the character arc in being so calm and collected and so, so above this, you know, I, I really shouldn't be here. I'm doing you a favor is to see that all come undone at the end. And to see me turn into this aggressive, horrible, dirty, miserable person that I did not want to become. That, I think that's the joy. Even when, whether I win or whether I lose, I usually end up uh, devolving into that state. <laughs> so I think people enjoy ultimately seeing that. And, you know, I, I come out there and I show them something different, but they know that through the course of my match and through the course of the show, all of that will come unraveled. Mm. Yeah. Similar to, and I, you know, I will think of, for example, and really a true great horrible person character is Basil Fawlty in Fawlty Towers. <laughs> really, really, really minimal redeeming qualities. But you enjoyed, you enjoyed watching him walk in at the beginning of the show, like everything was great. And everything was going to be fine. He has a real uh, false sense of class. And he does think he's, he's above a lot of what's going on. And then by the end, he's usually just this sweaty mess. And he's screaming and he's jumping and his hair is all over the place. And he's in his undershirt. And that's satisfying mm. as, as a viewer. Okay. I love Basil Fawlty as a potential model for a wrestler. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, he's horrible. He's really, really mean. If you go back and watch that show, and I watched it more closely like a year ago for some reason, I was just like, oh, you know what? Let's watch all of these again. And I was shocked at how truly unlikable he was. Yeah. I was obsessed with that show as a teenager. And I'm just thinking about how much violence there is in that show. It's not really wrestling or fighting, but there's a lot of slapstick 
um, yeah. violence. Between, There's not even, it, well, there is kind of, he's pretty abusive to Manuel. I mean, he really actually does hit him. It's not like a Laurel and Hardy, like, you know, the ladder goes up and then it falls down. He's just straight up hitting him. And he builds up that tension so it, it can all come undone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, we've talked about uh, what your character is up to and we've talked about what you are deliberately trying to do to the audience. Do you mind sharing with us a little bit about what it feels like for yourself to be in that situation? Like, um, I guess I'm, I'm really interested and I know nothing about um, just what it feels like to be in the match in terms of the, the energy and the emotion that it stirs, the sense of being in a, in a narrative or a kind of inevitable movement towards losing your cool, I guess, to, if that's the right way of saying what you just told us about where your character yeah. is going. There's um, a real, <clears throat> so I'm also an independent wrestler, which means I'm not affiliated with a major company. I'm not signed to them. I'm not an employee of them. So I can do what I want. I do basically every other kind of show. I'm my own agent, my own booker. And generally speaking, independent wrestlers have a lot more leeway in their characters and their matches. A lot of times I'm just told who I'm wrestling, how long they want it, and if there is a particular story they want, it's usually just really big bullet points. So I wouldn't say we're handed a script, we're really an outline. And when I say an outline, I mean like two lines. Okay. So it's really up to us to figure out where we fit on the show, which is an important thing because a wrestling show is almost like a circus in the sense that you're gonna, you have a little bit of everything. You have the acrobats, you have the clowns, you have the lion tamers, and you wanna figure out what kind of match you should give them based on everything else that's on the show. If, if everything else is on the show is, is violent and intense, maybe you wanna do a comedy match just for the sake of variety. And audiences want that. They wanna go up and down. Yeah. That's like, you know, every, if every comedian on a stand-up show uh, talked about their genitals and swore just that, and that's all they did. You'd be like, even if it's good, it's exhausting. <laughs> so you want to give them something else. So that's important. And then, and then we get to basically take an educated guess as to what is going to work. You never really, really know. And I think the trick is when you're taking that guess and when you're saying, well, we're going to tell this kind of story to leave yourself a little room in terms of not scripting it too tightly. That way, if they're not buying it, you can change it. And if they're buying it, you can maybe even turn it up even more. There's a lot of times when I go out there and, and usually before the match, I will get on the microphone to incite the crowd. And I'll have just kind of a few bullet points. And I don't wanna script myself too tightly because well, I, I will say this. I always say wrestling is theater, but the audience is inside the fourth wall. Hmm. It's almost like going to, uh, what do they call Like a medieval fair. Yeah. Where we're all playing along. Or like one of those, you know, pioneer village kind of things. Yeah. When you're like, all right, I'll give in. Let's play this game. And it's not a, as much of a show as it is a dialogue between the wrestlers and the audience. And the audience to be perhaps to get all murder in the cathedral about it, the audience is a very, it's, it's like that chorus. They're a character of generally speaking, one voice. Yeah. 
And even though, you know, there's a show I love to do in Toronto, the place is called Greek Town. And every time these, these young kids will come and make a sign specifically antagonizing me, specifically for me, their parents come to the show and they really just want me to be as mean to them as possible. <laughs> and I can be very, very, very mean to them. Uh, and it's fun. And it's a, it's a challenge to be mean in a creative and safe way. <laughs> That's a consideration I have too, because I think you can easily go off the rails. You could easily be, I always tell people, if you watch wrestling, and only see bad wrestling, that's because there is a lot of bad wrestling out there. Just like there's bad stand-up comedy. I mean, you can go to a stand-up show, you know, an open mic, and hear some horrible stuff. It's not indicative of all comedy. And I think, I feel like you might have that struggle explaining wrestling to people who are not fans of wrestling, because you've seen some great stuff. And then if they turn on the TV and they see something bad, you're like, well, well, that's not really, (laughs) that's not the best stuff. There's a lot of bad stuff out there and that's really frustrating. So I think the challenge is how do I, you know, antagonize people and still within the wheelhouse of like not going totally off the rails into being sexist or racist or any of that. How do I get personally to these people? How do I be dangerous in a safe way? (laughs) Which is a really, you know, yeah, it, it it can be very tricky, and sometimes you, you you do go off the rails. But I really, that's the art of it, is is being on the line. Yeah, and also if they know you well enough before they even come to the show to get ready to goad you, then there's sort of circuits of meanness going on where you you're also trying to manage their response. I presume and trying to make sure that you know you're you're inviting them to perform perform in a certain way, but you're also trying to keep those same boundaries you were just talking about in terms of, I guess, nice meanness. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There's some crowds and you, you adjust based on the town. There, there are very small towns that are very conservative and they'll start, you know, I come in the ring, I sit on the top rope and I cross my legs in a very, that I'm acting very elitist kind of manner. And sometimes even just that, will incite people mm-hmm. because it kind of makes them uncomfortable that a man is crossing their legs in such a feminine way. <laughs> so already you go, wow, I've got these people. <laughs> that, that was kind of easy. I mean, it, on one hand, it sucks. I wouldn't like to have lunch with these people. <laughs> but, but on the other hand, it's like, oh, okay. And then you get perhaps in a more progressive crowd, like in Toronto, I, I would say Toronto is a very progressive city in terms of, you know, being socially aware and tolerant of everyone. And you'll have to find something else. You can't just come out and be whatever. Um, so it is tricky. And it's also tricky coming out cold. Like I had to wrestle in Minnesota last year in the summer. They did not know who I was. And a bunch of people at a casino in Minnesota and you have to come out there and you say, well, what do I know that I think is going to work? Like, what is my A-list stuff? And it's a certain kind of promo, maybe certain lines I've used before. And then also, you know, trying to read the room. And usually, you know, within the first sentence or whatever, they get it and they can play along. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's fascinating. Um, I'm, so I'm super excited about the idea of wrestling as a theatre with the audience inside the fourth wall because 
um, both as a theatre historian, but also someone who makes theatre now, I'm not, I'm not interested in the fourth wall and I don't really believe in it. Um, and um, I think it's a really tiresome, irritating myth that kind of got imposed in the 18th and 19th century. So I'm always excited to hear about art forms which don't have it. And I'm, I think that's really great. And I love the idea of the audience as the chorus. I'm never going to forget that. So thank you for <laughs> making me think about that. Um, and I, I also guess hearing you talk about going into a situation where people um, won't already have preconceived ideas about you. I guess the alpha male convention you're playing with, that's a fairly um, international thing, do you think? I don't know. So um, I used to work with a theatre company who toured the world doing English language Shakespeare. And the only joke that everyone would always laugh at without fail was jokes about cuckoldry. So where a husband's um, wife is sleeping with someone else, having sex with someone else, and it's a sign of his loss of alpha male status. Um, yeah, that was the one joke you could guarantee that um, actually UK audiences didn't tend to laugh at that. But um, internationally, people were fell about laughing at this, <laughs> at the, uh, at this idea of a, a man losing his alpha male status, I guess. So is that kind of an, yeah. an easy shorthand for a, getting an audience reaction by playing with that yeah. convention? I think the easiest shorthand is that is how we tell the story with our bodies. Okay. Tell me more about that. <laughs> well, I, Roland Barthes wrote uh, a long essay on wrestling and he pre pretty much nailed it, which is hilarious to think how long ago he wrote it. And I was like, oh no, he, he got it immediately in that it's really just a collection of symbolism and visuals and embodiment. So when you punch me in the stomach as a wrestler, I'm not acting as if you punched me in the stomach in real life. I am now the embodiment of pain and suffering. My whole, my whole body, my, my voice, everything goes to that one area in an unrealistic way. And I think people, those are themes, suffering and persevering and having a, a clear goal. And, but that's all told with your body, I think is, is what's relatable in the sense that I feel like we could go to China and tell that because you know my promos are not going to work in China. <laughs> They're not right, but I think a match will selling pain. I think those are and it's so it's really a human story in the sense that physically the bodies it applies to pretty much everyone, and you know which is another thing. And I think about even going to England would be drastically different for me than a North American audience. And I would love to know what, you know, what am I going to have to adjust in my promos and my presentation and whatever. But when it comes down to the match, I think it will be relatively the same. Hmm. Because I think those are universal. That communicating with your body is, I think, ultimately universal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's get you over to the UK and find out the answer to those questions. I think I know. love that. <laughs> um, just quickly writing some of that down because this is really, uh, really fantastic. Um, yeah, so for people who don't know, Roland Barthes is a French, I guess, literary philosopher. And a is raconteur. What's that? A raconteur. A ra he's a raconteur, of course. Um, and I think he's writing in the early 70s um, uh, an essay which compares boxing and wrestling, right? And talks about how boxing is all about masculinity refusing to display pain. Um, I'm probably getting this very wrong, but kind of broad, broad strokes, yeah. wrestling is about display of pain and boxing is about 
um, establishing your masculinity by not displaying pain, I suppose. Mm -hmm. It's, there's always this conflict in wrestling of that, that staunch idea of the heterosexual male, but then there's this element that's incredibly homoerotic and there's this male intimacy, whether it's, whether it's sexual or not, that exists there. And it, it does just inherently bother some people. And there's also that thing of I'm displaying my roughness and my danger and whatever, but I'm doing it in a very caring way towards my opponent where I could really seriously injure this person if I wanted to, because they're really putting their lives in my hands. So it's, it's, it's everything at once. And that's why it's just, it's, it's very conflicting to be a wrestler because you want to show that you're hurting someone, but you don't quite want to hurt them. You want to show that you're tough, but you have to do it in this bizarrely gentle way. So that's always fun to me. And I always think to myself, what if we turn it inside out? And I'm really, you know, coming out as a gentle, non-confrontational person just to see what happens. And a lot of fun things happen, especially on a show where a lot of stuff is that, that alpha male stuff. I just, for the sake of difference, I mean, if the show was all, you know, perhaps more passive, smug people, then maybe I would be a little more aggressive. <laughs> I knew this would be a fascinating conversation, but... Um... Yeah, there's so much interesting stuff there. And the idea of being non-confrontational in order to be confrontational with the audience's expe- expectations is kind of yeah. blowing my mind. Um, th- uh, that's not quite passive aggressive, but there's something going on there that's really interesting. Um, and yeah, I, I'm really interested in that. In the, what must be a really intimate experience of um, telling stories about violence and pain whilst caring for and looking after and being you know, the primary carer of your opponent all the way through the match. Um, and then the other thing that you've said that, um, I'm just throwing a bunch of things out and you can just pick up, but, um, yeah, sexuality in wrestling really fascinates me. Um, both queer and just sexuality in all its forms. Um, and it feels like, as you were saying earlier, wrestling's becoming much more, um, LGBTQ, uh, inclusive, but actually discussion around sexuality in wrestling, again, sexuality in all its forms, including heterosexuality, isn't, doesn't feel very developed to me. I always say wrestling is at least culturally 15, be, 15 years behind. <laughs> where, the, where the most progressive is, we're definitely, like we're still in 1998, okay. <laughs> maybe. Oh, um, I remember that, I, that's not a good place to be. <laughs> no. I also think there's a, I, I read a really good paper once, I can't remember who wrote it, but the idea of, the role, the character in the most stereotypical worst sense of the homosexual wrestler or the overly feminine male. And I'm talking back to like gorgeous George Mm -hmm. and that, that kind of sense, there's always been a common character like that. And the, the writer said, that's a way that character being ridiculed by the audience is a way for them to reconcile the male intimacy going on as if to say what that person is, is wrong. This is not homoerotic at all. This is to what we're doing, the rolling around, the sweating. That's fine. That person's the problem. <clears throat> and that's so fast. When, when I read that, I just went, you know, wow. Cause you do realize like, yeah, there's an incredible amount of 
just physical intimacy. I don't know where else I would be in, in someone's physical space like that and with their bodies in a non-sexual way. It's still intimate. And I think people have a, a difficulty, as, as you know, a lot, you know, mainstream culture has a difficulty understanding the difference between intimacy and sex. They just think, you know, I, I, would, I would assume as a, as a British person, you would know how un, unhuggy People can be. The distance, that, the distance we currently have with the Atlantic between us is that's the distance I prefer between anyone I ever talked to. Yeah, as a right. <laughs> <laughs> so it just makes people inherently uncomfortable, and it's hard to deal with. Yet there's a need for it. Obviously, with your family and your children and your romantic partners, there's a certain degree of physical intimacy. So mm. for it to be explored and displayed on this level, I think is a weird thing for people to. Fully, fully grasp in a way that they feel okay with. Yeah. Um, I will also say, as there is, it's so interesting to see, to go beyond the characters that are a, a feminine or flamboyant or whatever, and to see them now presented as, I'm just this, you see a lot of different shades of that and a lot of different degrees of that kind of character now mm. and you get to see an audience's has a lot of different reactions to it mm. which is fun i'm there's probably some towns where even if you were known as a feminine homoerotic good guy you will not be received like that mm. in a in certain towns and it speaks to the mentality of that crowd <laughs> it's fascinating and you have to kind of reconcile it and then you have to say, how do I, how do I still tell them the story? Mm. How do I go against? And I think a lot of people, I think there probably is a juxtaposition in certain crowds with what they enjoy and celebrate in wrestling, and then what their personal beliefs are. Yeah, which is very unusual. Yep. Um, yeah, amazing. And um, again, for me, there's a paradox there about people who are uncomfortable about the kind of intimacy you're talking about. And yet going to see it all the time, going to see, you know, they're signing up for watching it by going to the matches. So there's, there's all kinds of really interesting paradoxes across the whole conversation we've had. Um, RJ, we're drawing to an end now. Um, and I'll finish in a minute by just asking if there's anything else you want to talk about or, or say. But um, I love the idea of, of uh, being bored in a good way with conventions. I feel like that's always a productive place for anyone to be in whatever um, they're doing. Uh, and I've really enjoyed exploring um, this idea of riffing off um, the audience's expectations, uh, expectations around um, alpha male status. Um, I'm never going to forget the idea of Basil Fawlty and the audience's chorus and the various things you made <laughs> us think about, um, about there. And the kind of, as I was suggesting, like the meanest circuits you were telling us about where, you know, your character is prompting a fury from the audience and then you are there to respond uh, with your own live fury and then they respond to you and this kind of really fascinating cycle of, um, grumpiness, I guess. Yes, but. it's and it's also this weird, like, uh, to use another theater term, Brechtian, in a sense, where these are really archetypes. Right. And they're, whether, however I want to play it, however I want to establish it, and whatever story I want to tell is irrelevant, it's, it's understood what the archetype is. Yeah. And um, between, between us and the audience, and it's also 
it's crazy that the audience, when they buy a ticket to come to see the show, they implicitly understand what their role is. Mm-hmm. It's just this weird unspoken thing that we, I mean, it happens all the time, so I don't think we think about it. Mm-hmm. But it's there and it's interesting. And I do like to say, you know, what if we, what if we admit that this is fake while we're doing the show? Can we still tell the story? And the answer is yes, because ultimately the audience wants to come and have fun. In whatever form that is, I think the ultimate goal is they just want to have a good time. That could be an emotional release. That could be seeing something athletic that they haven't seen before. That could be interacting with a character like they're at uh, Disney World and I'm a mascot. But at the end of the day, like there's various forms of it, but that's always the goal. So you want to say, is this a fun place to be? And I think that's the way, as the business can grow in the sense that it, it will sell more tickets if people know that they will have fun. Yeah, great, thank you. And again, for people who are new to Berthold Brett, early 20th century German um, playwright and uh, theater philosopher. And uh, again, you've blown my mind by making, um, and again, I'll be thinking about you as, as the, the Brecht of wrestling. <laughs> yes. That's, you know what? That's a good nickname that no, no wrestling fan will understand and I'm fine with it. <laughs> um, RJ, it's been a real joy talking to you. Thank you so much. I've learned tons. It's been so nice. I appreciate it. And feel free to use those chairs at some point. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll keep it in mind. Thank you. Take care. Goodbye. A bit late. Celebrating creativity and research of all kinds.